Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. And what you think about, like in a long arm, I could have had my full quilted piece and I'm pulling the long arm to do my stitching. Clothing is a way to express oneself. I just feel like in the last probably six or eight, six to eight years of my life, I lost my voice in theater. What is the connection or maybe the disconnection between what you've created for performance on stage and what you have made for torn mixology. I'm Eileen Cha. Who we are and how our sense of identity evolves is a fluid process affected by context, myriad factors that include time, age, place, gender. Many of those factors fall beyond our control. And what lies more readily within reach, though, is how we choose to convey ourselves and the experiences that shape who we are. Philea Davenport is an artist whose chosen mode of expression is clothing. Most of her work to date has been designed for the stage, but her latest endeavor, Torn Mixology, is a deeply personal exhibit that's been made for real life. And she's here today to talk about that. Philea, welcome. Thank you. Torn Mixology is an art exhibit and a kind of study What is it a study of? It's a study of racial identity. And ultimately, I think it's a study about how words matter. And so what I've done with the exhibit through the use of clothing is pulled moments from my life where my identity was questioned or challenged Mm -hmm. um, to create the conversation about what those words and how, how they impacted my life. Okay. How is it uh, that you've done that? Like, what does torn mixology look like? What physical elements are in it? And what do they represent? So there's five looks. Each is a part of my life. So the first looks childhood. Second is my teenage years. The third's my 20s. Then my 30s. And then the last work is now I'm in my 40s. Mm-hmm. And what are the, the physical elements, like the, the pieces that make this So up? the physical elements, each is a mannequin that has been painted half black, half white with a gray stripe down the center to represent kind of society's viewpoints on race. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of the clothing has been created in skin tone scale. Okay. And so each outfit is designed based off of a memory or a moment that happens. So I use those, um, those out the, that time period as a influence on the actual design of the outfit. And then I took an image of myself that was joy Mm -hmm. and I quilted myself into the outfits. And then I also used spoken word that I have written since I was a child and I embroidered it through the outfits using hair weave. Okay. So many, many different elements coming together. Oh, yes. And one of those components you've already talked about, which is the poetry, and you said that it's embroidered. Yes. Um, onto the garments. Where did the poetry come from and why did you decide to incorporate it into this? So the poetry is actually everything that I have written and each poem is from the time period that that outfit is from. So I've saved everything I've written. The very first um, poem was my mother actually. 
she saves everything. And so she shipped me oh. this book of poetry I wrote when I was like nine, 10 years old mm-hmm. in school. So it's all typed and everything was teacher notes on it. So she shipped that to me. And that actually was the reason why I started doing the poems on the outfits. I don't have um, memories of my childhood. Mm-hmm. So I have something that's called CPTSD, Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. Yes. And due to the trauma that I endured as a child, it I don't have memories. Mm-hmm. So the, one of the poems in that book was called I Remember. I see. And I wrote that, and it was interesting rereading that um, because it was writing stuff that I didn't remember that I wrote. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to continue that through then every look. And I was thinking, I mean, the the number of years that this um, tormixology that it covers mm-hmm. and the pieces that are coming from your childhood, I was thinking, like, how how did you keep so much of that? So you, your mother had the poetry. My mom had the poetry. She kept She kept random things, actually. She sent me a book that I wrote. And I think she was doing it because I was questioning myself and my worth mm-hmm. um, and my career path and choices. And in everything that I did growing up, it would say that I wanted to be a children book writer, though I'm not that. Mm-hmm. But it was funny because she was like, you always had a vision of what you wanted to be or do. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think she sent me those things as a reminder. And because of that, for my daughter... There are special things that I have a box that I keep of all of her stuff throughout mm-hmm. her life as well. Okay, so there's a generational sort of yeah. element there. Now, I understand that there are three thematic elements or, or threads in torn mixology. There's motherhood, generational trauma, mm-hmm. and multiracial identity. Now, your past work has involved a great deal of design for theater costuming, which is a, a thing in and of itself. What is the connection or maybe the disconnection between what you've created for performance on stage and what you have made for torn mixology? So interestingly enough, I actually went to college to be a painter and a fashion designer. And then then I transitioned into getting my BFA and my MFA in costume design. Mm. And I love doing theater. I love being able to tell another person's story. So it's it's very much the same because now mm-hmm. I'm telling my story through clothing. Mm-hmm. I just feel like in the last probably six or eight, six to eight years of my life, I lost my voice in theater. You know, as a costume designer, you're, it doesn't mean about being recognized, but I was a lot of stuff was dictated not only by the script, the director, or how I was treated by actors. Mm-hmm. And I got tired of my voice being stifled. And so I love clothing and clothing is a way to express oneself. So I decided to retire myself from theater. And I wanted to be able to take textiles and go, what can I do without the the voice of the actor? How can the clothing be the voice Mm -hmm. and help create a dialogue? And how have people responded to seeing um, seeing your work at different stages before it's all come together? So it's interesting. my friends have been and my family have been extremely supportive of everything. My daughter, it's been cool for my daughter because she's nine now. So she's been there for the whole thing. She watches me do the work. She actually finished helping with the install last night mm. for the opening tonight. You know, so um, and it's been a lot for me because I've had to relive the traumas. And sometimes it um, was hard for me to get past. So I couldn't even work on anything 
because I was struggling with the emotions or I was struggling with the memories I didn't have. And um, that was that was really difficult for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. This is sort of making me think about um, the image that accompanies your description of torn mixology on the Kranzberg Foundation's website. And it shows a collaged portrait made up of several different prints in variously textured fabrics. And what really stuck out to me in that piece was the stitches, which as far as I could see, were not there to unite you know, seams or anything like that. Can you talk about those stitches and why you chose that piece to be um, the the accompaniment to your artist statement? Yeah, so that's the very first image. And the funny thing is, like, I remember the outfit I wore in the picture that I used. I remember it was a big thing. Like, I loved clothing growing up. My mm-hmm. mom always said she knew I would do something with clothing because of, like, my first fashion look I put together. Okay. And I just remember that outfit um, and the joy it brought me. Because even when I'd have my mom do my hair, I would make her like take part of my hair and do a braid like a rat tail so you could see how long my hair was, okay. <laughs> you know. Um, but the stitches aren't meant to be perfect. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it on a free arm quilting machine. I used it on a regular sewing machine, which was difficult. Okay. But I think that's been my life. Yeah. And so it was, it all connected. Um, and the stitches aren't meant to be perfect. They're meant to move your eye. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to do. I mean, that was real that's rule one actually as costume as a costume designer is how do you take the viewer's eye from the actor top to bottom mm-hmm. to to see the full look or to see the full character right. and so every stitch I've done on every look is very purposeful in regards to forcing the eye to look in specific spots okay I'm glad that I noticed that then. <laughs> I'm glad to have the 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 explanation for it now are these garments that you've made are they meant to be worn? And could they be worn? So they could be worn. They're all made as if they would be worn. I just did it to the measurements of the mannequins I had so that it would fit the mannequins. Okay. And are the mannequins all of the same size? No. Okay. So you start with a child mannequin Mm -hmm. um, because the first look is between age seven and nine. Then I have the junior mannequin. Then the third mannequin is taller. I mean, not it's the dream height I thought I would be. <laughs> it's not what I am. And then the fourth mannequin is actually me pregnant. Mm. It's the beginning of my pregnancy. And then the last look is me today. Okay. Yeah. How many years has it taken for you to get from the like the very first, and not even necessarily a piece that is in the exhibit now, but from piece one to completion. So I think it's been about like three years. Mm-hmm. I tried getting grants. I, I applied for a RAC grant originally and was told no, then told no again by them. Like, And then I think I kept getting told no. And then my friend saw the Kranzberg Foundation had a residency and she's like, you should apply for it. And I, at first I said, no, I said, they're going to tell me no also. And so I applied and then I got it. Mm-hmm. And so then that's when I was like, it's meant to happen finally. And I think it was, you know, my daughter just turned nine and my very first trauma that did take my memories was between the ages of seven and nine. Mm-hmm. Felia Davenport um, is here with us today. We're talking with her about her exhibit, Torn Mixology, which uses clothing to explore the evolution of her multiracial identity, and it is through different various uh, life stages and experience. And uh, Felia is a Kranzberg artist in residence. Tell me about where you grew up and how we might see that 
um, in the clothing that you have created for this exhibit? So I grew up in Northern Virginia. Um, I lived in Maryland between the ages of seven and nine with my dad. Um, I don't know if you see it necessarily throughout the clothing and some of it, I mean, the third look is reminiscent of TGI Fridays because I worked there in my 20s Okay, when we wore flair. <laughs> so it's based off what I actually wore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's eclectic. So not only just from the fabric choices, you know, because it's not all solid tones. There's mm-hmm. patterns throughout. Um, like I said, it's a skin tone scale. But though you'll see yellows and reds and some greens and pinks, but that's our undertones. Mm-hmm. So I use that in there. Um, it's just, it's different. Like, it, it, you know, saying eclectic is easier because that's how I grew up for me, mm-hmm. culturally speaking. Um, and so I incorporated all the elements of my cultures that I grew up in into the into the outfits as well. Mm-hmm. So that's why the images are quilted. Okay. My father's side of the family was Jamaican and indigenous. And so I wanted to have that quilted component Um because of how quilts guided African-Americans through in regards to the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. They were the maps. It was the journey. And mm-hmm. so for me, this is my map of me. It's the journey of, of my life, and it's the journey of trauma and how you handle it, but it's also the journey of my racial identity as well. Mm-hmm. Now, the, um, the space that your work is going to be showing in, it's just on the street. Yeah. It opens today at the Kranzberg. Um, is there something about that gallery space, including where it's situated here in St. Louis, that makes seeing torn mixology there an experience that might be different if it were viewed in another place? So first, it's next to the Fox Theater. So for me, that was my past. You know, I joke and say I'll come out of retirement. Like I help out at Clayton High School with theater, but I tried coming out and doing a show a year ago with Metro Theater, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. But I realized I just don't have that joy anymore for that. I miss creating something that creates a conversation, but that can bring people of all walks of life together. And theater does that as well. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to do the same thing, but a little bit differently. Okay. You know. And so, and I love the joy of like, I remember when I would go to New York, and you see Bergdorf Gorman's, you know, the, the the windows dress up. And so I love the idea that you can walk by that window and see the pieces as you're walking, whether it's to the Fox or to get lunch or whatnot. Like, I want it to stop people to turn and look mm-hmm. and realize that clothing is art. It doesn't have to just be a painting on a wall or a sculpture. Mm-hmm. And what I do is artistry. And I think in the world that I came from in theater, I don't know if people realize what I did as a costume designer was art. You know, if I told them I was that, they're like, oh, you're a seamstress. Right. And I'm like, no, yes, I can sew, but there's so much more Mm -hmm. that I do. So, yeah. So you had talked earlier about the difference in um, the the sewing Mm -hmm. machines. I want to return to that because I'd like to get sort of an understanding of what kind of labor actually went into the making of, of this exhibit. What are the, the, the tools that you used? So I used a regular home sewing machine to sew it. And what you think about, like in a long arm, I could have had my full quilted piece and I'm pulling the long arm to do my stitching. Mm-hmm. But when you're sitting at a table with a regular machine, you have like maybe five inches 
of space on the right side that you're bundling up fabric and rolling it to be able to sew. So pieces will move. Luckily, I had a friend who showed me um, how to use a, just getting a tag gun with small little tags. And mm -hmm. so I could tag my pieces down so I didn't have to have pins. So I could just sew them. Um, so some of the tags are still stuck in some of the outfits because I couldn't get all of them out. <laughs> right. uh, but it was interesting. But it was also a puzzle to solve. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got to the third one, I go, oh, how about we not put the full quilted pieces down? Let's just go section by section. And then I can sew each section and it won't be as difficult, right. which is kind of funny because it kind of might resemble my life a little bit. Well, yeah. So, I mean, how how does that maybe reflect what your journey has been in sort of understanding your identity as a multiracial person? Well, I think, you know, what's interesting is I've never wavered on how I saw myself. But I think my complacency and my anger were masked by, were my masks, basically. Mm -hmm. I always said I was multiracial or I would say mixed. I would argue with people because they're like, oh, you're just black and white. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm more than just that. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is that when you say you're mixed, people just assume that there's your two the caveats. The default, there. right. Yeah, right. There's, there's the two you get to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I fought that. I think eventually I got tired of the arguing and I became complacent. So I would do the jokes. I tell people I became a token. You know, I would make the jokes with people. If some, if we were listening to music and they were like, I've had friends who were like, oh, I'm blacker than you because I listen to gangster rap. What, and I don't. I go, that doesn't make you blacker than me because you're not black mm -hmm. in general. And so, but I wouldn't, I really wouldn't speak up. Mm -hmm. I let people say a lot of things to me. Um, and then I turn around as a joke. And then in turn, I just, that was my whole life of, I would be like, oh, and everyone would know me as, oh, Felia is not PC. She's not this, you know, mm -hmm. she'll joke about everything. And I did it as a way to mask how I was feeling, yeah. really. So this exhibit is kind of a, a liberation of sorts? Yeah, it really is. The last look is called Freedom. Mm -hmm. And it's really basically saying I love me, mm -hmm. you know, I am who I am. I'm not apologizing anymore for it. And I'm also not gonna allow people to walk all over me either or speak down to me anymore. Well, that sounds like quite something to leave, particularly for your daughter. Yeah. Felia Davenport is a Kranzberg artist in residence whose exhibit, Torn Mixology, uses clothing to explore the evolution of her multiracial identity through various life stages and experiences. Felia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. This episode was produced by Avery Rogers. With audio engineering by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And 
leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.